Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz. Shalom, Evan. How are you? I'm doing well and glad. Been a while. Glad to hear you been back a while. on the podcast. I mean, yeah, it's been a while. What is it? A month? Two months? You know. Happy to be back. Happy to be back. The weeks really just slip by during these COVID times. I can't really pin down when you were last on the podcast, but yeah, it's good to have you back here. Yes, uh, I believe I believe it was uh, July 9th, if I recall. Um, that was, uh, and I, I don't. I think that was a podcast I actually did without you. It was with. Uh, Dan Rotem, but I don't recall the last time we did a podcast together. Must have been in June, over a month. It, it has been a while. Maybe it would have been longer if my guy had finished the job, but apparently you only have a sprained ankle. Yeah, Evan sent a guy to uh, take me out at my uh, weekly uh, soccer match, and uh, thankfully he didn't finish the job, but he did stop me from scoring a goal uh, with a pretty gruesome tackle <laughs> into my ankle. So, Evan, thank you. Eli's foot is now the color of the flags being raised at the anti-BB protests. Almost. <laughs> it's a dark purple, so <laughs> just just short of the black, but thank you for that. Between Eli's injury... Obviously the main development in Israel lately, but yeah. We've had a lot of developments here at Israel Policy Forum as well. We have a bunch of new programs for you to check out, and we should go through those before we jump into the main part of today's discussion. Um, Of course, we are continuing our Tuesday video briefing series. Yesterday, we did one with our IPFOT Young Leaders uh, featuring Yair Rosenberg from Tablet Magazine, Elisheva Goldberg from the New Israel Fund, and Rabbi Rachel Isaacs from the Center for Small Town Jewish Life. It was a great conversation, and there is a recording of it on our website. And you should stay tuned for an announcement about next week's program. And these are, of course, all continuing in the same time slot, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. 7 p.m. Uh, Israel time. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Israel time. So it's really, you can fit it into your day however you want. You know, it's if, if you're on the East Coast, it can be a little uh, after lunch experience. The the West Coast, just whet your appetite, you know, get get in there, you get some policy. Uh, yeah. But for all those, all our listeners in, e- in Eastern, Eastern Asia, the recordings are obviously available after. Or it's a way you can show your commitment. No, no pressure. For you to be tuning in from, say, you know, Singapore or Taiwan. Nauru. Nauru. So here's the thing. I, I'm not expecting everyone in that region to be tuning in. But Nauru, uh, given their government's commitment to opening an embassy in Jerusalem, uh, really tra- in trailblazers in, in, in that effect, I would expect those people to want to tune into an Israel-related program, even if it's in the dead of night, just because this is really a country that is dedicated to Israel's security and to the the eternal, undivided capital. We should check in on the status of that embassy move, but maybe before we get to that, we should talk about the, the, the bigger the bigger stories uh, that have gone on this week in Israel and and the region. But before we get to that, one more announcement from Israel Policy Forum: We have also just launched a new policy report from our policy advisor, Shaul Arielli. The report is called Understanding the Trump Plan, and it will help you do just that. It is a comprehensive point-by-point 
breakdown of the Trump administration's peace to prosperity plan. So if you're still unclear about what that proposal means, you should check that report out and you can find it on our website, www.israelpolicyforum.org. But Eli, let's get to the news. Yes. Sorry, actually, Shaul Ariely was just WhatsApping me. So was it about was it about the report? Get to the news. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, you could say that it was about the report. Well, he's just very excited about it. He, he is very excited. <laughs> that is an understatement. Um, so yeah, a lot of things happening um, in Israel. And I mean, something that I think of particular mention, because we've had protests going on for a couple of weeks, but we had actually an incident in uh, in the north of Israel, Israel's border with, with Lebanon. Yeah, so let's uh, take this point by point. I think we should address what is going on in the north, talk about some of the issues of the protests. And then if you can believe it, and we have talked about this possibility on the podcast before, there are elections, rumors elections. of an election. Elections, election. elections. Elections, elections, elections. Can't get enough of them. It, see, see, in Israel, the issue with democracy has now become quantity over quality. But first, let's talk about the north. Yeah, so we're talking about an area... Um, that has been particularly uh, contentious um, lately in the past uh, near Hardov. I don't know the English name, but it's a mountain that is kind of shared between um, Israel and Lebanon where the border crosses. And there was a thwarted attack uh, by Hezbollah trying to attack uh, Israel. It seems like it was an IDF uh, like convoy along uh, the border, and uh, the attack was thwarted after a uh, soldier who was on lookout uh, identified um, the terrorists and kind of, uh, they, they were, um, from what I heard, there were no casualties at all, but they kind of, they were identified and there was an exchange between um, the IDF and Hezbollah that lasted um, several hours, and obviously it was very concerning for residents in uh, the north of Israel. They were all told to stay stay at home. Um, this was on Monday, and um, there was fear that there may be an es- escalation, but since then things have kind of calmed down, um, and I think that's something that is obviously... Uh, Neither side really want a serious uh, escalation here, but obviously this is connected um, to what's been happening on Israel's northern border, not just with Lebanon, but also uh, with Syria. Um, obviously, um, the Israel-Lebanon border has been pretty uh, quiet uh, since uh, the Second Lebanon War in 2006, um, but uh, definitely a flare-up that is notable and that we should definitely keep an eye on what's going on there. Right, and Hezbollah has also been pinned down supporting uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's repression of the uprising in that country. So that's been another factor that has contributed to the relative stability of the Israel-Lebanon border because the main force in Lebanon that would be conducting a war with Israel is simply not as present. Uh, you mentioned that this quieted down pretty quickly. I mean, there was a peculiar way that this, or I should say the aftermath of this clash on the border went down, which is that 
you know, typically you might see a group like Hezbollah take responsibility for their actions, um, you know, as a means to boost their profile and and send the, a message to the Israeli government and to the Israeli people. Um, instead, Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, denied the incident had even taken place, which is what prompted Prime Minister Netanyahu and Defense Minister Benny Gantz to carry out a press conference clarifying the the incident there. And of course, you know, you can speculate also as to Netanyahu's uh, domestic political motives. Uh, certainly, it serves to uh, boost his reputation um, as Mr. Security and the only responsible custodian of Israel's security if uh, there is some kind of security crisis. I'm not saying that he wanted this to happen, but given that it did happen, uh, you know, he wants to shape and craft the narrative around it. I would just add that I think it would be much more likely for Hezbollah to claim responsibility if the attack was successful and was not thwarted. Obviously, it's e easier for them to deny uh, responsibility when they, when what, like, what, what reportedly happened uh, completely failed. So, um, just another another point, but but yes, there's also the possibility that in denying responsibility, Hezbollah is setting themselves up for some other kind of attack in the future because it's been fairly widely understood that this incident was a response from Hezbollah to the killing of another Hezbollah operative uh, in Syria in an Israeli airstrike uh, a couple weeks ago. So. If this was the kind of revenge attack, and like you mentioned, Nasrallah and Hezbollah might not be satisfied with the results, then essentially they're wiping the slate clean and saying, actually, this wasn't the revenge attack. The real revenge attack is coming later. Yeah. And def so definitely expect uh, like the IDF to be on high alert um, in Israel's northern border for the next, the next while. One other interesting point here is that we saw Netanyahu and Gantz, I don't know if I want to say like cooperating, but at least working together on something. Um, uh, obviously, uh, a security issue with Gantz being minister uh, of defense and also alter alternate prime minister um, with all the talk that we'll get into shortly about potential elections. Um, we saw both of them kind of working together. So something... Uh, interesting as well. Probably the first time we've seen it <laughs> uh, since uh, the government was formed. That's a good point. Uh, but our next topic is not something that engenders the same kind of unity in Israel as issues of national security do. And that is the issue of the protests against Prime Minister Netanyahu and his government. Uh, Eli, have you witnessed any of the demonstrations over in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? I definitely have. I de yeah, I've de I mean, I definitely have. I've been even just like driving. I drove uh, up north um, uh, recently and... Um, you saw the people gathered over the highway? The highway and that's uh, the... Uh, it's known as like the black black flag protest. The mostly specifically against net like against Netanyahu and based on like the legal Netanyahu's three, the three indictments that are 
that are uh, currently the court case is currently it's go it's going on the trial is going on um, calling for him to resign um, but on top of that we have had uh, larger protests throughout the country in particular outside of Netanyahu's residence in Jerusalem uh, Balfour Street and um, in Tel Aviv um, as well and also um, in, in, in Haifa and all around the country. And it's a combination of uh, people that are uh, more upset with the corruption and the charges and Netanyahu's failed leadership uh, and, and, and what's the current crisis with COVID-19 and the state of Israel's economy and the failure to deal with uh, the pandemic in a effective way. Israel's uh, unemployment rates remain like one of the highest among countries in the OECD. And, and there are a lot of issues that are just charging these, these protests. People are frustrated for a whole number of reasons. And we've seen um, these protests also get out of control. Um, we had yesterday, uh, there were pro Netanyahu um, supporters attack uh, demonstrators. Uh, one of them was uh, injured uh, pretty significantly, and it doesn't. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight. Uh, there were protests outside of uh, Minister of Interior or of like Homeland Security Amir Ohana, the former Justice Minister, outside his house uh, last night. Um, so there's no real end in sight, and Israelis are venting their frustration with uh, the government and the leadership for a whole host of reasons. Um, so from COVID-19 to Netanyahu's corruption and, uh, and trial um, to just the state of Israel's economy. So a whole lot of protesting going on, for sure. <laughs> sure, and... Uh of course, this calls to mind for some people the 2011 social justice protests. Uh, I was actually in Israel when those were going on, and I remember seeing the tent protests set up along uh, a lot of the main thoroughfares in Israel's major cities. Um, but something that seems to be a contrast between these two is that there doesn't seem to be a super organized leadership to these protests. There seems to be almost an element of spontaneity. And of course, you mentioned that uh, the main focuses are on Netanyahu's corruption, on the perceived inadequacies of his government's record, and on the coronavirus. But there's also been some, you know, at, at the margins, some other issues come up. People have protested on annexation. They've protested about the killing of a Palestinian man by Israeli police um, in Jerusalem. And the, these protests seem almost to be like a little more amorphous. Like it's definitely like a, a, mi a mishmash kind of like a everything bagel, you know, if you want to call it uh, just all sorts of. I think that name is going to stick. These are these are going to be forever more known as the everything bagel protests of 2020. Or the mishmash protests. Well, a big factor in why that's the case is also uh, with laws such as like the V15 law, it's much harder for organizations 
um, and for NGOs to, uh, even if it's not during an election cycle, um, to like actively organize uh, these um, demonstrations and rallies against uh, against the government. And so this really has a feel that it's really coming from the people for, as you said, for all sorts of all sorts of reasons. And um, we'll have to see where this leads us. And obviously, an interesting uh, aspect of this is that Benny Gantz, who was supposed to be for all these people, for many of the people protesting, he was the the sign or he was their hope for change. Um, he's kind of just sitting and going along silently, um, supporting the right of these people to protest, but not supporting any of the, the messaging, let's say. Um, so it's been interesting to see how he's been reacting. And today we even saw an instance of, uh, we've spoke a lot in the past about the nation state bill uh, that passed and uh, Nathan and Gantz had promised during the campaign to fix the nation state bill um, to, to mention uh, the importance of equality for all of Israel citizens uh, in particular uh, the Druze community, but also other communities, Israeli Arab communities, a law was proposed, an amendment, sorry, was proposed today by uh, Yesh Atid, um, by one of our former uh, podcast guests, uh, Kamal Marich, and she uh, said that whoever votes against this bill will be remembered for, um, for it. And interesting enough, Gantz was not even present, and it was voted down. By that, that amendment, by the way, was for an equality, yeah. clause, an equality clause. To exactly, be an to equality be. clause. Yeah, and so that was voted, I believe, 53 votes against and only 19 votes in favor. So almost all of Kaholaban being either not present or voting against. And their response was that uh, the Minister of Justice, Avi Nisimkoren, is working on some sort of other law to ensure equality for all Israeli citizens and not uh, change the nation-state law. Obviously, this is not in line with what Gantz was saying during the election campaign, but uh, not surprising, to say the least. Benny Gantz, as you mentioned, Eli, was not present for this vote. And, you know, he did mention, as you mentioned, during the campaign that he would support amending the nation-state law. And he may have genuinely believed that, that that was something that he wanted to do, but really every step of the way through this government, it seems like Netanyahu has been able to play him, and uh, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of autonomy within this government. So, you know, that is what it is. And, and Gantz even said recently in an interview, if he emerges from this government having been played for a fool, so be it, which seems to be a kind of defeatist yeah, attitude, I, I think, which may, maybe seems to be it, a recognition. Defeatist on one hand, but also you got to give him, a, I think he's being pretty realistic at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I know. I'm saying it's a, a defeatist, but also maybe a recognition of reality. And, and of course, I think, I think Avigdor Lieberman had the, uh, the winning remark on this issue. He referred to the way that Gantz is being treated by Netanyahu as an instance of animal cruelty. 
So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little sad to see, but, you know, with the past few months, not entirely unexpected, what does feel a little unexpected, at least this early, and especially given the raging coronavirus surge in Israel, is the talk of another election. I think most people did not expect this government to last the full uh, 18 months that would lead up to Gantz taking on the prime ministership as laid out in the coalition agreement. But, you know, it's, it's only been a few months and we're already talking about the prospect for another election. Yes, we are. And just one last word on Gantz. Um, just to think about the alternative, if Gantz didn't cave in to uh, and, and join uh, Netanyahu for this unity government, uh, we'd be right around um, the fourth round of elections now with uh, the current state of uh, COVID-19 in Israel, with uh, presumably you'd also have protests against the government's handling of it. Um, and so it could have been a very different scenario for Benny Gantz, but that is not the case. So yeah, we have, um, with talk of elections, obviously we've seen, um, we've seen more polls and Evan, you know how much I love the polls. And I think the main takeaway from the polls that we've seen is one party in particular, a party that was actually below the electoral threshold in way back in the first round of elections, um, Naftali Bennett's new right party, uh, or, or Yamina party, they are surging and they have, I think they reached 15 seats in the latest poll. Um, there are a few reasons for this. Um, and also, I, I mean, the main, I think the main one here is that Bennett has been, we, you'll remember he had that short stint as defense minister where he, people were pretty happy with how he uh, performed in particular during the beginning of the, uh, pandemic outbreak. Um, he was very focused on, um, taking steps that were just data driven, um, in terms of, uh, tracking where, uh, new cases were and, um, trying to kind of find, like, he presented a very elaborate prep plan for, uh, treating COVID-19 in a way that would minimize cases, but at the same time have a minimum, minimal effect on Israel's economy and on day-to-day -day life. And so that has really, uh, given him a huge surge. And what, what's fascinating is that a lot of the voters that have, um, or not, I mean, in these polls, it looks like a lot of his support is actually coming from Kahol Lavan voters, which is interesting. You would think um, that it would mostly come from Likud, but there and there are some Likud uh, Likud supporters that are now supporting Bennett, but a lot from Kahol Lavan as well. So that's very a very interesting development. Right, you do see a Likud slip in the polls a little, but there's still. In pretty much they're every still right poll, where they above, were in last election, right? Right, so and they're they're above like, they're above thirty seats. Um, you know, they're in probably the Likudniks who are coming over to them. You probably have some disaffected annexationists who are maybe disappointed that Prime Minister Netanyahu has not proceeded 
with annexation yet, although the window to formally deliberate on that issue only opened on July 1st. The, the issue, and, and no pun intended, is far from settled. Um, so, you know, the, the West Bank may still be on the agenda, but uh, for some people for whom it's their number one issue, they might not be satisfied. And for Yamina, that is their issue. Um, but it, it is really interesting to see because Netanyahu is slipping in a lot of opinion polls personally in terms of people's satisfaction with his performance as prime minister, in terms of people's satisfaction with his government's performance in combating coronavirus, but that hasn't translated into a total collapse for Likud or, or a collapse for the right-wing bloc. If anything, the gains for Yamina make up for the losses of Likud. Now, that is under the assumption that Yamina and Likud would sit in the same government. Right now, Yamina, uh, despite being the furthest right party in the Knesset, is actually not in the government. It was sidelined to the opposition. Netanyahu sees its leaders, Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, as rivals or potential rivals. And, uh, you know, he personally doesn't like them, nor does uh, his wife and close confidant, Sarah Netanyahu. So that is an issue. But, uh, you know, it was easy for Netanyahu to cast aside Yamina after this last election because they had five seats. If they come out of another election, if there were to be another election with 15, 16 seats, it uh, won't be so easy for him to just look the other way. He would really have to uh, include them. And, and Bennett is going to play a little hard to get. He's even said if there were another election, he wouldn't necessarily recommend Netanyahu. Now, when... Uh, I think he may have... He, I think he said that before. I don't know if it's the first time. Yeah, this no. Time I, more, maybe this time he's more serious. So, no, what I'm, all I'm saying is that he's going to play hard to get. When I think it comes down to the line, I don't think that he's not going to recommend Netanyahu, but he wants to make... He wants to make BB sweat a little. Um, also, you know, then again, we, we look back at the, the last uh, three elections. And at the beginning, I don't know if anyone would have said that Avigdor Lieberman was going to sit out and uh, play really hard to get. And I think at this point, Lieberman really doesn't have any going back. I don't see Lieberman uh, jumping back into the right wing block anytime soon. Uh, Yamina is a little bit of a different story. Um, but, you know, despite despite the rivalries here, there's also something that Netanyahu could gain from their presence in the government, uh, especially given the situation regarding his corruption trials and Yamina's anti-judiciary stance. For sure. Um, I'll just add a few things. That, I mean, Yamina have, in the past few elections, they've polled much better than they've performed um, at like election day, um, and with something that's as volatile as like COVID-19, we don't know what the future has in store. Like this is not, I want to make clear to our listeners that this is not a jump in the polls for Yamina because all of a sudden there's huge support for Naftali Bennett's annexation plan of Area C. This is mostly an economic issue that has changed the real, uh, the, the kind of the state of play um, in Israeli politics, it's what has caused the Likud to drop down. They are still over 30 seats in these polls, but they were up to 40 uh, just over a month ago because of how the government was handling uh, uh, 
COVID-19 in a way that the majority of the Israeli public were very satisfied with Netanyahu. Remember, uh, Israel uh, kind of opened, uh, they were talking about opening the airports and kind of everything opened up almost all of a sudden. And then we saw a slow uh, surge in cases and which has continued and is continuing uh, today. But uh, that's one thing uh, to focus on. So I'm not sure that this number for Yamina is set in stone. And the last thing I'll mention is if we look at the center left um, and Yeshatid who have kind of cemented themselves as the only party with a real chance. I mean, they're still not even, not close enough. They're not even in the 20s in terms of uh, polls, uh, but they have been polling their, in, their 18 and 19 uh, in the last uh, t- two polls by Israel's, done by Israel's two major networks. Um, they're shaping like themselves, and Yair Lapid is shaping himself to be the main uh, contender or the alternative to Netanyahu in the next election. And he's also... He mentioned um, today that uh, he would be open to, I mean, guess what, to rejoining up with Benny Gantz uh, should there be another round of elections. But this time, I don't think Lapid will agree to a rotation agreement or even, a, uh, I think he'll, he'll, he'll want to be the only candidate for prime minister, should Kaholavan get back together? Let's say. I wonder if in that situation, Gantz would even stay in Kaholavan. Period. Yeah, because well, I think politics, that. I mean, I think maybe he would just get out and let Gabi Ashkenazi, who has been eyeing uh, the, the, that leadership role in Kaholavan, uh, to kind of, and then uh, I mean, the conversation would change maybe with between Gabi Ashkenazi and Anir Lapid, but. Gantz may be too much of a poison pill for some of their potential partners in the center and left. And I mean, the center left is so fractured now. That's one of the main uh, achievements, you could say. It is the main achievement that Netanyahu got out of the last election. And I think the reason that his fall in popularity has not translated to a total free fall at the polls is because there's there's no real alternative in the sense that no one with the current numbers brings a realistic chance of forming a government. And of course, if you're on the center and left, I mean, uh, originally Kahol Lavan's plan had been to form a unity government with Likud while leaving Netanyahu out. That didn't uh, work out, to say the least. Um, but if there were ever an attempt really to form a true center-left government, they would need at least outside support from the joint list, which at one point seemed almost realistic when uh, Ayman Oda, the head of the joint list, twice recommended Benny Gantz as prime minister, breaking with uh, what I would call a, a counterproductive but deeply entrenched political tradition among independent Israeli Arab parties um, throughout Israel's political history, one that has only been broken one other time before uh, in 1992 with uh, the support that Rabin benefited from with the uh, with the Arab parties and, and certainly uh, later into Rabin's government when uh, he needed outside support to keep the coalition afloat. 
Um, so that's something that kind of Oda put himself out there to do that. Um, whatever you think of the, the Arab parties kind of non-participation, whether you think it's a sound strategy, it is a really heavily entrenched, uh, political tradition in Israel. Um, one that also I should say that the centrist parties are, haven't always helped with, but, but regardless, so you see, you see Oda break with this tradition. I don't know if he's necessarily going to put himself out there and take another risk on a centrist party after being burned so badly by Benny Gantz. And, and that's then an automatic deficit of 16 seats for Lapid. So I mean, it wasn't just him that was, mind. I mean, Uda that was burned by Gantz. It was the entire, it was, it was all the jointless voters. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the, the, the is, yes, but, I, but obviously like Yeshatid and Bog, like, and Bogia, like it was the entire, but, but yes, I definitely, I definitely. No, but I, I mean, I think it's I think it's easier though for them at least to welcome back Kaholavan as an institution, even if they don't bring back Benny Gantz the individual. But I think for for the joint list specifically, I mean, there was a lot of pressure from the voters. Uh, Israeli Arab voters overwhelmingly voted for the joint list and not other parties, but they differed from the joint list in terms of their preference for seeing those parties actually attempt to join or support a government. And so finally, the joint list does that, and Benny Gantz rewarded their actions by joining up with a prime minister who has engaged in some really awful race baiting against Israeli Arabs. So, um, sure, sure. But yeah. I think all of this is just part of uh, Ayman Uda and the joint list's attempt to be more involved in uh, the political process in Israel. And we see that it's translating in all the like the latest polls, the joint list aren't dropping at all. They're even increasing in, in some of them and they're at a solid fifteen seats, which is pretty pretty significant. And it um and they've also been very active in um these these protests against uh uh Netanyahu across the country, um, which is something to to note as well. Right. An interesting factor there though, and probably an issue to devote a whole other podcast to is that while the leadership of the joint list has been involved in these protests, uh, Israeli Arabs writ large, Israeli Arab society has kind of been at the margins, uh, almost to the point of total um, or, or almost near total non-involvement in these protests, uh, despite uh, seeing leaders from Israeli Arab parties involved. And, and there's been a lot of reporting done. There was a good article in Haaretz the other day explaining why that is, why many Israeli Arabs have been reluctant to join in these protests. But uh, again, maybe an issue for another podcast. Uh, I think with that, we can kind of bring it to a close with the big caveat that we're speculating about elections that may not happen. Uh, you know, we didn't even get to the bottom of why there's even talk about elections, which is that, you know, one, you have Netanyahu's trial entering the witness stage at the beginning of 2021, which is something that he's scared about. Um, and he could trigger elections by failing to pass a state budget in August. Um, and, and this has spurred a lot of rumors. And of course, there's already dissension within the coalition about a whole host of other issues. Annexation uh, was won a couple weeks ago. There is anger between the ultra-Orthodox parties 
and some members of Likud uh, because Likud allowed their members of Knesset to vote their conscience and not follow coalition discipline or party discipline when voting on a bill to ban gay conversion therapy, um, which is, of course, an awful practice, um, and so on and so forth. So, And, of course, the protests that we talked about. So there are a whole lot of reasons that the government might not be so stable, uh, but at the end of the day, the elections could also just not happen. Yeah, and obviously the other main thing is that uh, that there's a rotation agreement in place, and I think both of us uh, believe that Netanyahu would much prefer to not have to not have to give the keys to Benny Gantz and let him uh, become prime minister. Um, so if he can do it in a way that that prevents that from happening and helps his legal predicament, then. I think he will take that that chance. Yeah, and you could see this election, if it happens, pass, and there you have the results, and, and Kaholavan, of course, slips a few seats in the outcome of the election and maybe comes out with nine or ten seats, and you still see Netanyahu go for some reformulation of the current government, still with Kaholavan, still with the ultra-Orthodox parties, but this would give Netanyahu an opportunity to sort of renegotiate the terms of his arrangement with Kaholavan and remind them that they are the junior partner in the coalition and set things more favorably for himself, more favorably than they already are, because he got pretty favorable conditions out of this coalition agreement. But again, we will have to see what happens with this story. And until they call elections. And if they do, we will be there to discuss it. I think we're going to close this episode. Yeah, we've talked, we've we definitely talked too much. So yeah, it's okay. You know, we're, we're, we're jamming in everything that we were wanting to talk about for all the weeks that say. you were absent. I mean, you, kept, you kept me off the podcast for a long time. So I had a lot to say. And we'll keep you off for a lot longer if you mouth off again. Just watch out next time you play soccer. Who's we? <laughs> Who's we? Your, your uh, soccer mafia in, in Tel Aviv? That you're... <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to use the same guy again because he only bruised your ankle. <laughs> we're, all, we're all wishing you well, Eli. Uh, Thank you. Just, Thank you. Yeah. Keep, keep sharp. Keep your wits about you. We'll do my best. And for all our other listeners, be well. Also, we've been talking about coronavirus surge and the all the issues that we are all confronting across the world with this pandemic. It has not gone away. So stay healthy, be well, and we will catch you next time on another episode of Israel Policy Pod. אני מקליט פודקאסט